0: You're listening to The Pocket and the Pendant by Mark Jeffrey. Read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Michael and Evo's Dragon page and podiobooks.com. The full book is available in podio book format at podiobooks.com. The full print version is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Lulu.com or from the book's website and blog at www.pocketandpendant.com. 5. The Books of Jonathan Roseblood Serranus. Without any transition... Max, Ian, and Casey suddenly were the three children in the illustration of the study in the book. Ian smiled at the reaction on their faces. Yeah, that's really weird the first time, I know. Plays with your head a little bit, that does. Max and Casey were staring at each other, eyes open in wonderment. That was cool, Max said. Yeah, I know, Ian replied. But it gets cooler. There are other books in here, like I said before. Like, And here, he pulled a book off a nearby table, one that was clearly one of the more important books in the room, and he handed it to Max. This one! Casey and Ian stared at Max for a moment. What should I do? Max asked. Open it, Ian encouraged. Max opened the book to the very first page. There was a script here that said, This book is the property of Jonathan Roseblood Serratus. The script was written in a different kind of ink, and was clearly not part of the book. Whoever this Jonathan Roseblood Seranus was, his claim seemed empty. Max turned to the next page, and all three of them gasped. There was an extraordinary illustration of an ancient city in the desert, rendered in lush colors, deep crimsons, pale blues, ruddy black shades, bright living greens, and full of impossible detail, tiny hairline cracks in the masonry of the towers, insects creeping through the grass, people going about their daily business in the city with distinctly individual faces. You could see every pore, every blemish, and detailed personalities that seemed to actually shout out from the page. Everything in the illustration seemed to be moving when you saw it out of the corner of your eye, but when you looked directly at any one part of the illustration, it was suddenly clear that, no, it was still but it was almost impossible to look away from this page. But you also got the distinct impression that you could go mad if you didn't. There was also writing on the page that looked like hieroglyphics or cuneiform, etched into the parchment with a masterful hand, using ink which resembled blood and gold mixed together. At first, it was impossible to read, but then it seemed to resolve and become clearer, and suddenly, there it was, in plain English. It read, Eridu, home in the far away, With an extraordinary amount of willpower, Max managed to turn the page. Casey and Ian hissed involuntarily, finding it nearly impossible to tear their gaze away, and feeling very irritated that Max was turning the page at all. But now, they were already looking at the second and third pages. These two facing pages staggered the senses with the sheer size of the throngs of people who appeared in them, each individual rendered in mind-splitting detail. The page title said... The Land of Shinar There was a very tall ancient king, wearing a tunic and ornate headdress and carrying a scepter, pointing and giving orders. His name was Thoth, the page said. There was a small army of men, stretching to the horizon, wearing nothing but loincloths, bowing down and covering their faces. These men all appeared much smaller than the king in physical size, and looked strange, with heavy, brutish brows, like pictures of Neanderthals that Max had seen in school. They were clearly enslaved by this king. The page also showed these same men toiling in the wheat fields under the fierce yellow sun, laboring in the hot wind, building pyramids, dams, palaces, and granaries on the bleached white sands. Still more men mined gold from the deeps of the earth and moved it across continental distances with the help and direction of other tall men who looked like the king and who seemed to be his lieutenants there were still others who poured staggering amounts of the mined gold into vats that were then sealed tight and seemed to blast upwards into the ancient sky on the shoulders of a great wheel of fire. And some of these slave men, and some women, who seemed to be of the same kind of primitive human, served someone indoors who appeared to be an Egyptian queen, and they were feeding her a feast of bread, meat, fruit, and wine. Max flipped forward to a page nearer the middle of the book. This page showed a wishing well, with a view looking down into the well from above. The grass around the well seemed to be waving and rippling slightly in the breeze, and there was an old discarded bucket, half buried in the earth, next to the well with a strand of rotted frayed rope hanging from it. The well was very deep, and they could not see the bottom of it. "'Oh,' said Casey, very taken with it suddenly, "'a wishing well! We should make a wish, for good luck!' And she found a penny in her pocket, And before even she realized what she was doing, or they could stop her, she had tossed it into the book. Much to Max and Ian's surprise, the penny actually dropped into the page, seeming to melt as it crossed the boundary of the page surface with a small ripple, before falling into the well. The penny bounced off the rock sides of the well wall, careening off the edges for a full two minutes before they heard the faint plunk of the penny hitting water far, far below. "'I wish we knew how to use this book!' Ian muttered, half-joking, "'now that he figured they had a wish to use. "'Suddenly, as if in reply, the book started flipping its pages forward, all on its own. "'All three of them were so surprised by this that their blood turned to ice "'and they dropped the book in their fright, and it fell to the ground faster than seemed natural, "'hitting the floor with a monstrous thud, as though it were far heavier than it should be. "'The pages turned and shuffled on their own for a few more seconds.' and then stopped on a new illustration. Again, masterfully and meticulously executed as the first one had been. This one showed three children, two boys and a girl, dressed just like they were. They were in a study, much like this one, looking at a book, much like this one. It was clearly an illustration, a drawing, not a photograph, yet it was also clearly showing the three of them. There was Max, Casey, and Ian. Even the surprised look on their faces was exquisitely rendered. Hey, that's not cool, Ian intoned, clearly spooked now by the book. Ian looked up at the ceiling to where a camera would have had to have been positioned to take the picture shown now in the book, half expecting to actually see one there. Scowling when he didn't, Ian picked the book up and held it open towards the ceiling. When he lowered the book and turned the page, there was another illustration of the three of them this time showing Ian holding the book up. And inside of that book, the one in the illustration, was another illustration of an even smaller Ian holding up an even smaller book, and so on. The detail was so excruciatingly perfect that you could actually count five regressions downward into the book before it started to blur at all. Ian stared at this new illustration. Well, a bloody fat load of help that is, he complained. I can do that in my bathroom mirrors at home. I don't need a magic book. But Max wasn't so sure. Well, this must mean something. It seems like this is the book's answer to what you wished about wanting to know how to use it. Ian shivered. Bloody creepy. It's like the thing's alive and listening to us. Casey nodded. It is. Can't you feel it? Max and Ian both shook their heads. Well, it is, Casey concluded. What does it mean? It's answer, I mean. How can it showing a picture of us, here and now, in this room, show us how to use the book?" Max asked. Ian puzzled on this for a moment and then impulsively turned the page. But this page was very different from the previous ones. It showed a rich set of extraordinarily complex symbols. It made your eyes cross just to look at them. It looked like higher math and some form of ancient writing combined. The symbols were arranged in three dimensions, a layer near you on the surface of the page, and then a whole lot more beneath that, and so on. It seemed like the symbols receded off into a kind of infinity that the eye wasn't made to see, and as a result, it made you a little queasy to look at as your senses tried to get a handle on it. But it was clear that these symbols, whatever they were, burned with purpose and intent. Max looked up at Casey and muttered, I wonder what this says. Casey shook her head. I don't know. Ian, on the other hand, was staring intently at the symbols, almost as if he could read them. His lips were moving. Suddenly, Ian was slurped forward. His entire form morphed and poured into the book and was gone. Ian! Max and Casey shouted at once. They looked down into the page, but all they could see were the symbols. But now, they were moving and rotating fluidly inside the page, and changing shape as they moved. Shut the book! Casey shouted. Don't look at him! Max didn't argue. He slammed it shut at once. Casey was hysterical. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Max was sweating. I I don't know. Uh, Let me think. We have to help him, Casey said. I know, Max snapped. I know, he said again after a moment. And then, after thinking about it, he said, Well, he's either gone into the book somehow and he's trapped in there, or, or the book sent him somewhere else, and we have to follow him if we're going to help him. Casey nodded. And in either case, we have to use the book to help him, which means we have to open it again. Casey looked doubtful for a moment, and then she nodded slowly. I-, I don't like it either, but I don't know how else to help him. It's true that we could just end up trapping ourselves in there with him or something, but I just i don't know what else to do. Okay, said Casey, scrunching up her face and trying to be brave. Her hand was shaking, but she decided to reach out for the book herself and open it again, letting her fingers curl around a page at random deep into it, and swung it open. The page she chose had another lush illustration. There was a vast, impossibly detailed forest of black and green and deep brown, with a thin white stone path reaching off endlessly between the thick trees. And at the head of this path was a lone figure looking skyward and cupping his hands to his mouth, calling out, looking lost. It was Ian, drawn in perfect detail. Turn the page, Max whispered, Casey did. And there was Ian again, further up the path, looking worried now like he was hearing noises in the wood. Again, Max said. Hurry! The next page was even more disturbing. Now Ian was running, and he had a SERP dagger out. It had gotten darker in the woods like it was now hours later. The path had turned into a steep, rocky incline, and Ian was charging up it, looking over his shoulder behind him. Something was chasing him. The next page showed Ian in a full, haggard sprint now, running across a massive stone bridge that arched in a perfect half-circle across a span of air between two craggy rock cliffs. He seemed to be higher up in the mountains now, as there were less trees and more scrub brush near the ground. He looked exhausted and was covered with dirt smeared with sweat, and it was clearly approaching dusk. Max and Casey held their breath and turned the page. Now, Ian was standing in a strange little cluster of buildings on the rock face of the mountaintop. The inky, star-filled, moonless night had come at last. He was in front of what looked like a little stone observatory, with a telescope poking skyward out of a domed roof. He was trying to open the locked door. Without much luck, it appeared. His face was beet red, and in the illustration they could even see the veins bulging from his neck. He was in a sheer panic, absolutely desperate to open the door to the observatory. His arms shook with the strain of trying to twist the door handle. The terror on his face was plain, but the door was locked and he couldn't get in. To his left, they could see a garden with a giant rusted iron sundial in the middle of a small inlaid stone piazza. At regular intervals in the garden, there were marble busts of gods or important men of old on pedestals, wearing expressions of ferocious seriousness with vine tendrils snaking across their furrowed brows. On the next page, Ian was in front of a new building, a small tower like a miniature castle. This particular building hadn't been visible in the views of the previous illustrations, but they could see the same observatory and garden in the background, and so it was clearly part of the same complex. Ian was opening a door into the small tower and was just now stepping inside. Max and Casey breathed a sigh of relief. Ian seemed to have found refuge. And just in the nick of time, as Max and Casey could see a pack of venomous yellow eyes watching him soundlessly from the brush. The next page showed Ian looking out from the top of the tower. His eyes were fixed on the observatory. There were even more yellow eyes gathered in the brush. But Ian didn't seem to see them. Oh no, Max whispered, having a sickening premonition. He turned the page, sweating. In this illustration, a full swollen red moon had risen and was throbbing up in the sky. Several hours seemed to have passed. Now, it appeared Ian was out of the tower. They could see the back of his checkered flannel shirt walking trance-like towards the observatory, and he seemed to be unworried and the pack of wet, venomous eyes in the brush was now swarming nearer to him, and the red moonlight threw shadows across the rock face, revealing crimson outlines of fur and teeth and snouts and pointed ears. Casey gasped. "'Oh no, Ian! Get back! Get back!' she mouthed. The next page sucked the air from both of them. Ian's clothes, torn to shreds, hanging from branches and all over the ground, Blood splattered across the rock and across the door of the observatory. Blood across the faces of the bus. And the wolves, wild dogs with yellow eyes, snarling and snapping, rolling satisfied on their backs in the garden as though they had just had a good, satisfying meal, and with the crimson moon swollen huge and full in the sky like it was about to burst open. Oh, Ian, Casey cried. Suddenly, they heard a squeaking metallic noise that startled them both. With sickening horror, they saw that someone was trying the door handle. Someone was trying to get into the study. Great, Max thought. This is just what we need right now. Max jumped up from the book and rushed for the door. He quickly grabbed the handle to keep it from turning further, and slid the bolt and locked it. Whomever was on the other side was suddenly flummoxed, not expecting this, and tried the handle several times, wiggling it furiously. Then they banged on the door heavily. After a moment, there was a thud, and then another thud against the door. Someone was now throwing themselves at the door, trying to break in. But the door and the lock were very strong, and it was clear that it would hold. Max and Casey watched the door for a moment and breathed a sigh of relief when there were no further attempts after several minutes. After a few more moments, Casey spoke. So, is Ian dead? Max sighed. I don't know, but I'm not giving up on him yet. I mean, he just disappeared into the book a few minutes ago. Maybe when we turn the page, we're only seeing what will happen to him, or what might happen to him. Or, or maybe we're outside of his time altogether. We can flip the pages backward and forward and forward again, and what is now for him really has no meaning at all for us. You know, like when you open a book to any page at all, and wherever you are, well, that's now. You can keep on reading, or put the book down, or go back and read the beginning, or go forward and read the end, but what now is, is completely up to you. Casey's eyes lit up. Oh, I see. I hope so, she said. She sprang up from the book. Maybe we should explore some more. Max nodded. We better make sure there are no other doors, he muttered darkly. Casey went pale. Who do you think that was, trying to get in? You think it was... Jonathan Roseblood Serranus. Maybe, Max said. I don't want to find out. Casey nodded nervously. Okay, let's look around. They discovered that the study was actually quite small, much smaller than they had imagined when they first arrived. But there was another door, on the opposite side of the room, and holding their breath, they opened it a crack. They saw a medium-sized room with a giant telescope pointing skyward out of a domed ceiling. Oh no, Max said, his stomach dropping out from under him. Do you think? We're in the observatory. The one in the book, Casey said. And it was Ian trying the door just a minute ago, just like we saw him do in the book. And I locked him out, Max whispered, feeling horrible. I'm the one who locked him out. Oh no, I have to go out there and get him. You can't, Casey exclaimed. The wolves are out there, right now, remember? Max sat and thought for a long moment. He didn't know. You couldn't have known. It's not your fault, Casey said gently to him. Max was thinking about something Mr. Siren had said. There is free will, yes, of course. But it is simultaneously true that your destiny is already written in the stars. Was Ian dead already? Was there nothing they could do? It had already happened in the book. But it hadn't happened here yet, right? Ian had just tried the door a few moments ago which means he was probably inside the tower by now. And according to the book, he would stay there until the moon rose in a few hours. What if we change what happens in the book, Max said suddenly? I mean, what if we rip out a page or rewrite it or alter it so it doesn't happen? Casey thought for a second. Well, we have no idea really what that will do. We seem to be in the book also somehow. I mean, we're actually inside the observatory it showed us. It's not like Ian is trapped inside the book any more than we are. Max stared at her. This was a really good point. Casey clearly had more brains than he had given her credit for up until now. Normally, she might have basked in the approval, but she was too worried about Ian right now to think of much else, so she just kept going. And have you noticed something else? Time is flowing normally here. We're not in the pocket right now. Neither is anything outside the observatory. And Ian wasn't able to whoosh. He's just been running normally the whole time up the mountain. Max was taken aback. She was right, and he hadn't even noticed at all. While you're in this brilliant mood, let's go back to the book and see what else you noticed that might help, Max said. Casey beamed briefly and then became serious again. They sat in front of the book once again on the floor of the study. See if you can turn back to the earlier pages, Max said. Casey opened the book, and it seemed to know what they wanted. It opened to the page where Ian was standing by himself on the path in front of the woods. They could flip forwards, backwards, any direction, or order they wanted to, with no trouble at all. Now, tear out the page where he's on the bridge. See if we can rip a hole in the way things happen to him in the book. Casey gripped the page and then finally faltered. I'm afraid. Max smiled. It's okay. I'll do it. Max gripped the page and tore. The page ripped out easily enough. But as soon as the last shred came free from the book, the page crinkled and turned to black suit in his hand, and then fell to the floor in a pile of ashen powder. And without missing a heartbeat, the next page in the book changed, and now showed Ian on the bridge, just as the torn-out page had. It was clear that they could tear out pages all day and the book would just regenerate itself. Hmm, Max sighed. Well, that didn't work. Maybe we have to enter the book somehow. Not fight it or destroy it, but do things its way, if you get what I mean. Wait a second, Max said. What if we put another of these books inside of this book? You know, get it to Ian for him to use. On a page before the wolves get to him. When he's up in the tower, for example. Casey lit up. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try it. She popped up from the floor and pulled down one of the identical books from the same shelf. It was large and heavy like the first book, but she struggled and wrestled it over to where they were sitting. Max had the book open to the page where Ian was in the tower, staring at the observatory. Max found a pen and wrote on the title page, underneath where it said, This book is the property of Jonathan Roseblood Ceramus." Ian, Casey and I are in the observatory. You are in great danger. Wolves in the woods, they will kill you if you come down from the tower. We found another book, here it is. See if you can use it to get back to us. Max and Casey. Okay, Max sighed. Here we go. Max positioned the second book over the page and then started pushing it down into the first book. It was going, sinking down slowly at first and then faster as it started moving. Again, there was a slight ripple as it passed through the plane of the page and then it popped into the illustration of Ian and the Tower. And now, the second book was drawn in the illustration shown in the first book. Turn the page, Max said excitedly to Casey. The next page showed Ian reading his newly-arrived book excitedly. Again, Max shouted. This page showed Ian with his book open to a page showing an illustration of what looked like Max and Casey sitting on the floor of the study. And the next page showed him being slurped into the book. And before they could turn to the next page, Ian popped out of the thin air just behind them. Ian, Max and Casey shouted at once. Bloody hell am I glad to see you two, Ian said. They all hugged. Those bloody woods are crawling with nasty, hungry, wild wolves. They're everywhere. I barely made it, spending half a day running up a mountain. You try that sometime, especially if you can't woo shop it. Oh, if that tower door hadn't been open, I'd been in the belly of a wolf by now. They don't give up, you know. They'll wait around all night for you to step up. Oh, you won't see them, but they'll be there all right, watching you slinking around. My grandfather told me about the time he got chased by a pack in Braintree when he was a boy. Oh, you know, Casey said. Then why did you come down from the tower? You know, the, the first time around, Max asked. In was perplexed, so they explained about what they saw in the pages of the book. I would have never come down from that tower. Not in a million years. I know better than that. Max and Casey were silent. But we saw you do it. And then the book showed... Just the wolves, Casey finally said. Well, I don't know what you saw. Well, I can tell you, after running up a mountain all day with wolves snapping at my heels, I wasn't about to leave that tower. Maybe not ever. Max had a terrible feeling they were missing something important here. He was delighted that Ian was all right, but he didn't trust that this was truly over just yet. The book had shown Ian devoured by wolves for a reason, and he didn't like that he didn't know what that reason was. "'Well, anyway, I'm certainly glad to be moving and breathing and all, "'but we should get out of here before we make any more mistakes,' Ian said. "'They all nodded. "'Right. Well, this book here,' Ian pulled another book down from the shelf, "'combined with this magic device here,' Ian held up a Go Travel map of the United States, "'and we should be ready to go. "'How do you know that that's the right book this time?' Max asked nervously. "'No, this one's okay. "'The scroll, Ian said. One of the few things that let me remember for some reason. Okay. Ian opened the new book. They saw a page with what looked like an antique map of the United States on it, like some kind of Lewis and Clark-era document. There were illustrations of covered wagons, horses running in the prairies of the central states, hardy wheat fields, and tall ships moored in Boston and New York harbors. There was even a cartoonish illustration of a cloud with a face blowing west in the upper right-hand corner, and sprinkled over the map, were little book icons in various places. There were only about eight of them total. These show where the other books are that this one is linked to, Ian explained. Let me see. He ran his fingers along the east. That's odd, he said. I could have sworn there are other books. One's closer to New York in here than before. But now they're all gone. Ian frowned. Maybe the pocket, Casey suggested. Ian nodded. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? So what's the closest place we can go? Looks like Texas, Ian said. Yeah, a little town here called Parsnip, next to L.C., Ian said, pointing at a book on the map. There was the tiny icon, breathing in the page. He turned to Max and Casey. Ready? They nodded. Ian reached in and pinched the icon. He gave it a little tug. Instantly, it became the whole page. Then, they were looking at an illustration of themselves, drawn to perfection in a study somewhere in Parsnip, Texas. Behind them was a window overlooking a tumbleweed-filled prairie with the odd cactus jutting up from the dust. And again, without any transition, they were in the room, looking at another book on a table in Parsnip, Texas. Close it, Max breathed. Close it before something else happens. Bloody right, Ian agreed and shut the book. So that cut down on our journey quite a bit, Ian mused. Put both Arizona and New Mexico out of the way. We're far out of Ace's reach at this point. I wouldn't worry about him anymore. Ian seemed to be saying the words to see whether or not they were actually true. He glanced around nervously as though Ace might suddenly pop out of a cactus somewhere. Don't worry, Ian, Max said. We are far enough away. Unless he knows how to travel via books. Ian shook his head. He doesn't. I made sure of it.' "'Then we're good,' Max replied. "'So, what now?' Ian unfolded his "'Go Travel!' map of the United States. "'Been saving this for just such an occasion. Let's see.' Ian squinted at the map for a moment and then announced, "'We take Highway 10 East. From there we'll make a quick left up the East Coast and into New York.' They nodded. "'So, we whoosh our way there,' Max said. "'Yeah,' Ian replied. We should be able to make it in about a week if we can whoosh as fast as a car goes. My dad and I did a cross-country trip in a car, and it took like a week. Well, let's get started then, Max said, and the three of them whooshed off into the east on the 10 freeway. You're listening to the Pocket and the Pendant by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Michael and Evo's Dragon Page and PodioBooks.com. The full book is available in PatioBook format at PodioBooks.com. The full print version is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Lulu.com, or from the book's website and blog at www.pocketandpendant.com.